You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. We are currently in a sermon series called Where We Are and Where We're Going, a vision series on direction in an unprecedented time. All right, so we are kind of getting toward the end of a series that we've simply entitled uh, Where We Are and Where We're Going, kind of five burdens that are on the heart of your pastors. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about discipleship and formation. And just like marriage, last week, discipleship and formation is a, is a, is a big, broad topic. Like I, I can't spend uh, 30 minutes and unpack every single bit of, of discipleship and formation that's in my heart and kind of on my mind over the last several years. And so I'm kind of narrowing my focus similar to what I did last week with marriage, all right? And so I recognize that the element of discipleship and formation is more than this. But this is an area that I want to continue to lean in as a church. And so, and hopefully, if you've been with us for a while, uh, if you'll notice, like the month of August, over the last four years, I've done something in this lane. You know, I actually, I, I preached from this passage a year ago. So here we go, right? So let's see if you remember anything I talk about from a year ago. I don't even, I was shocked to find out that I preached in this passage a year ago. So I can't expect you guys to remember anything. But... Uh, I've been kind of hitting on this little subject for a while now. And part of that's on purpose because I don't, I don't want to ever, you know, kind of initiate change within our body without having time for us to process that as a body. All right. And, and just hear me, I'm not, there's not a major changes here. that's going to be happening. I'm just wanting to lean in an area in the area of discipleship that I think is really, really important for us. And I've been trying to sprinkle this over and over for the last four years. And so the area that my end goal today is, is to put before us the value of what I would call like formative practices. Or if you, depending on what tradition you grew up in, spiritual disciplines, uh, you know, habits, whatever, you know, you want to call them. I like words like rhythms of grace. I like that because it, it kind of uh, helps us see the, uh, that these are, these are empowered and uh, not only empowered, but, you know, sustained through the grace of Jesus Christ. We're not earning something from God. We're not gaining his favor. We already have his favor and we step into these rhythm, rhythms of life that we like to call rhythms of grace. Or another way you can talk about it are practicing the way of Jesus. And so all I'm after today, all right, is I'm wanting to challenge you again because I've been doing this, as an individual, as someone, if you are here, that calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, and I forgot to mention, you can take your mask off if you feel comfortable during this little sermon session, and then after we get done taking communion, you can put them back on. So sorry about that. That's a little blip, as I saw some of you take it off there. I want to give you freedom to do that. All right, moving back to sermon mode. Um, I don't even remember what I was trying to say, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it kind of does. I got to kind of get my train of thought going on here. Uh, yeah, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to kind of challenge and encourage you to take ownership and responsibility of your own discipleship and growth by engaging in these formative practices that have been around for thousands of years that somewhere along the line here over the last 50 to 100 years have become optional. For fear 
that they may be legalistic, that they may cultivate self-righteousness, that it may cultivate judgmental attitudes, which all of that is true. It can, all right? But it doesn't mean that we just dismiss them and disregard them. I think we need to kind of bring them back to front and center and see the value of these in our own life um, and our own fruit bearing. So that's what I'm after. Now, let me tell you how we're getting there, all right? So there's a phrase that I've used before here that's probably common in marketplace and businesses, and a a phrase goes like this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So I'm not wanting to unpack business stuff. I'm wanting to say, take that phrase and... um, use it as a way to kind of apply to your whole life. So think about the output of your life right now, all right? So if you, if you find yourself, and I'm not saying this is you, just having us do a little inventory. If you find yourself angry, low-grade anger, like I said a few weeks ago, that you go from like zero to 100 really fast, doesn't take much time for you. Do you find yourself with little patience? Do you find yourself having kind of like like this constant vibe of anxiety? Do you live under high levels of stress? Do you find yourself unable to sleep? Do you find it difficult to be really present with others and really listen to what they're saying? Or are you thinking about the next thing you have to do and trying to figure out how you can get out of this conversation as quickly as possible? Not saying that's bad all the time, sometimes, right? You're saying um, that wasn't funny, obviously. Um, Do you live with little to no sense of God's presence with you? And does that bother you? Do you feel discontent, envy, jealous? Is it hard for you to be still? Because you have this kind of impulse in you that you always have to be productive. So like, if any of those little things are kind of the output of your life, then I just want to offer something to you that maybe, maybe something about the system that your life is, is a little out of whack and off kilter. The system of your life is basically what I'm trying to say is what, what you do day to day, like how you live your life, what you do with your time. Maybe the system of your life, how you live is a little off. And it may be the reason why you're getting this sort of output of anger, maybe low-grade guilt, maybe stress, discontent, lack of satisfaction, envy, jealousy. And so I'm wanting to offer to you that there is a better way to live. There is. There's a better way to live. And I see this embedded in Matthew chapter 11 because the output, right? I'm going to read it here in just a second. Of Matthew 11, I would say, is what all of us want. Like we, 
we long for this. We desire this. This, is, this resonates with our own heart. And I'm going to read it here in just a minute. But I would say most of us would go, man, it just doesn't really match up to my life experience. So I, I long for this. I, I say amen to this. But when I wake up on Monday morning, it's just like so far from my reality. It just feels like a fantasy. And so this is where sometimes what we talk about on Sunday morning uh, can feel so unrealistic. It can feel like, yeah, this is great to talk about in services and praise God for this. We lift our hands, shout amen to this. But then I just get up on Monday morning and I'm going, well, that was great Sunday, but I don't know. <laughs> That's just not going to happen in my life. I mean, just, just listen to the words of Jesus here. Listen to the, the invitation that he has for us. And if you just need to close your eyes so you can hear better, just so you can focus on what is said here, you can. If not, it's on the screen there. But listen to what he says here. And I kind of skipped the slide, Abigail, sorry. Thank you for uh, letting me lead the dance up here. So you're, you're very kind. I always say it's like a dance when we're doing slides. Just kind of let me lead and I promise I won't step on your feet too much. All right, but, but just hear what Jesus says here. Come to me, all of you who are weary. I mean, can, can we not all just say that that's sort of the description of maybe our lives over the last five to six months that we're just weary and burdened. And here's the promise. I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. Here's the promise. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We'll read it one more time. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that describe your life? In Jesus' time, and we know that Jesus is way more than this. We, got, we know the full picture of who Jesus is. He is, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the son of the living God. He is fully man and fully God. 
But in this time, you know, it wasn't like he walked around with a big sign of who he was. Most people would have saw him as a rabbi. That's what they would have referred to him as, you know. If he came into synagogues, they would see him as a rabbi, a teacher, kind of this sort of, I don't know, this probably doesn't fit as well, but a traveling itinerant, so to speak. And in this time, a rabbi always had a couple of things. Number one, they, they had disciples or followers, or another word you could use would be apprentices. And Jesus obviously had disciples. And, and the disciples of Jesus, they would kind of organize their life around three basic goals. And these three basic goals were this, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he would do if he were you. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you. And so the whole point of a disciple was to kind of model all of their life, all of their life after Jesus, not just their spiritual life, but their entire life after Jesus. So all rabbis would have followers, disciples, just like Jesus said. The second thing that they would also have would be a yoke, which is what Jesus referenced here a couple of times. And so the original hearers of this would have understood what a yoke is, both literally and metaphorically. So literally, even if we're not, you know, grew up on a farm, we know what a yoke is. It's just something that you harness animals to kind of carry a, a heavy load or pull a heavy load where they can kind of shoulder the weight together. Well, obviously he's not, Jesus talks about a yoke, he's not talking something literally, he's talking metaphorically. And in this time, a yoke was, was a kind of a common uh, saying for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah, which is the Torah is the, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it was not only the way uh, a rabbi read that, but it also uh, was a set of teachings that would teach their disciples and followers how to be human, or it's his way to shoulder kind of the weight of life his way to kind of shoulder and carry sometimes the crippling weight of life. Now, the difference between the yoke of the general rabbis in that time and the yoke of Jesus is what? It's easy. It's easy. And so Jesus' invitation here that when we follow him and take on his yoke is to travel through life at Jesus' side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease. I mean, I will say that again because that sure doesn't sound like my shouldering of the weight of life, right? It doesn't feel like ease. That we are to come alongside Jesus, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease. And that's so far from my reality. I don't know, maybe it's not from yours, but I'm making an assumption it is. That when you hear that, it just feels so out of reach. That it feels like a fantasy. Like, come on. Really? It's almost like, once again, you know, rolling in here on Sunday mornings, we're hearing something that sounds great, sounds kind of awesome. I would love to live like this. 
But then I get up on Monday morning and it's going, oh, here's what I heard and then here's my reality and there's a massive gap. And so it just, it, it makes you take a, you know, double take. Like, okay, but, but Jesus is God in the flesh. The words that he speaks to us are words of truth. He's not lying to us. He's not dangling a carrot in front of us. I'm going, I'm making this promise, but it'll never be real. Keep coming, keep coming, you know, get, travel the circle. Just like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I've got a cat at home. I torture the cat quite a bit. If you get one of those little lights, I mean, it would just, cir- just circle the light a hundred times. It's ridiculous. It's like eventually you're going to realize you can't catch the light, but the cat doesn't get that. I mean, it'll just chase the little dot for days on end. And so this was a, an example that came to my head. Maybe it won't fit, but sometimes maybe that's how this feels. It's like it's something out there, way out there, I never get it and just keeps going forward, keeps going forward, keeps going forward. And I just want to say, no, no, Jesus is not lying to us. These are words of truth. And so if this is not what my life is characterized by, then I want to ask this question, then what am I missing? What's going on? What is in the system of my life that may be off. This is where Dallas Willard is really helpful. And there are a couple books, and I forgot to mention this at the very beginning, that have been helpful in my just reading. I've been thinking on this for a couple years now. There's two that I've read over the last few months that I would recommend to you. Uh, The first one is uh, Dallas Willard's The Spirit of Disciplines, Understanding How God Changes Lives. And then kind of more of a modern sort of version of that would be from this guy named John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of hurry, but in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines, he says um, that hidden in this invitation is the secret of the easy yoke. So, what is the secret of the easy yoke? Well, here's the secret. He says this: In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. So follow, follow what he's trying to say here, all right? And this is an illustration that he uses in his book. I remember in the early 2000s, there was a movement that came out that was like called WWJD. You guys know what I'm talking about? All right. And so if you got one of these little braces on, fantastic. I'm not like ripping on the braces. You don't have to hide anything. All right. So I think one of my nieces has one of these braces and it's fantastic. Like I'm not against this. I'm not, every time I speak of things, you guys feel like you're against it. Don't ever wear WWJD, you know. Uh, No, there won't be any church discipline if you show up with that on. I'm just... Trying to make a point. Thanks for a little laughter up here, man. Love you guys, but a little rough today. Uh, but if you don't know what the, um, uh, the whole thing is, this is basically an acronym that says, you know, what would Jesus do? So in the moment of a crisis, in the moment of a temptation, in a moment of like trying to make a decision that is honoring to Jesus, glorifies him, you would ask the question in that moment, what would Jesus do? And then, you know, you would do that. That's, that's I mean, I know maybe that's a, simplified, very simplified version of what I'm trying to talk about, all right? But that's basically what it is. Not a bad thing, all right? But hear what Dallas Willard says about that. So the idea conveyed is an absolutely fatal one. Well, why is that? 
that to follow Jesus simply means to try to behave as he did when he was on the spot, under pressure or persecution or in the spotlight. There is not a realization that what he did in such cases was in large and essential measure, look at this, the natural outflow of the life he lived when not on the spot. So asking ourselves, what would Jesus do would suddenly in the face of an important situation simply is not an adequate discipline or preparation to enable one to live as he lived. Are you following what he's trying to say here? I mean, another analogy you can use with this, and I think I've used this before, but it's in the area of athletics or in the area of anything that you really want to do really well at. So like, you know, just hypothetically, let's say you decide, hey, I want to run a mini marathon, or I want to run a marathon, 26.2 miles, all right? Say, or 20, yeah, 26.2 miles. Say you want to do that. Well, none of us in this room, most of us in this room, how about that? Most of us in this room, maybe there's one that would say, you wouldn't wake up the morning of the marathon and think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dominate this. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to go out there and run 26.2 miles and dominate. No, you'll you'll probably really hurt yourself really bad. I don't know, if you're in your 20s, you probably wouldn't. I mean, you're probably somewhat fit and whatever. But if you're, you know, north of 30, whatever, you know what I'm saying? If you try to do that, that would not be good. You would not run at a very high level at all. You would probably end up in the hospital. But if you want to run a marathon and you want to perform well on that day, what are you going to do? You're going to train And training is adopting an overall way of life. Your eating habits change. Your sleeping habits change. Your exercise habits change if you had any, right? Your entire routine of life, your day-to-day living radically changes. Why? Because I want to get up on that morning and run the marathon at a high level, and the high level for me would be just crossing the finish line and still be able to walk, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's subjective where the high level is. But, but I've got to adopt an overall way of life. My life has to change in order for me to be able to do this. And I just want to say this is what Dallas Willard's arguing here. The secret of the easy yoke is to learn from Jesus how to live our total lives, that we accept his overall way of life as our way of life in totality. And the way, what I mean by way of life is just, it's just like your, your lifestyle, your rhythms, your routines, what makes up your day-to-day existence. It's naive, and I've said this before, it's naive for us to think that I'm gonna respond in patience in the moment that I need patience when my overall way of life is not going to cultivate that in my life. Are you following me? Are you with me? I mean, if you just read through the Gospels, like we're working through Matthew, and just paid attention, Jesus lived a certain way. And it wasn't like fly by the seat of his pants kind of way, right? There was intentionality in the way that he lived, what his lifestyle was. I mean, I'll just give you six as sort of an example or, or, or a model for us. Jesus had margin in his life. 
And I've heard somebody say before, margin is the space between our load and our limits. And some of you in this room, there is absolutely no space between that. And that is not a healthy way to live because everyone experiences your impatience when you have no margin in your life. I mean, I feel it as a dad. My kids want to tell a long story or tell me some game they're into or, and I'm like, in my mind, they don't see this and they see this. Yeah, with you, buddy, with you. I'm like this in my mind. Come on, buddy. I got a lot to do. I'm busy, right? I mean, Jesus had a lot to do. He was a really busy person. He was. Life, his life was full. But I just don't see him being one who was in a hurry. He had space. He had margin. He regularly got up early and went off to a quiet place in order to be with his father. Sometimes he would go away overnight or even a few weeks to get away from the crowds and gather himself to recenter himself in relationship to his father. More than once, we read stories of Jesus sleeping in. Amen? I need to learn that. And all the teenagers in here said amen. They got a biblical reason to sleep till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, Jesus did it, Dad. Every chance he got, he would enjoy a a nice long meal with friends, creating space for in-depth conversations about the highs and lows of life. Jesus would practice the Sabbath weekly. A full day where he didn't work and rested. So look, it doesn't mean that we do exactly what he's done here. It doesn't mean we do everything that he's done here. But what I am offering you is that when he invites us and we receive this invitation to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, that we are also wanting to look at his life, his teachings as a a template, a, a, a model and a pattern for us. So yes, yes, guys, please hear me. I'm not saying we dismiss or we downplay what he did for us. No, we always put that front and center, always celebrating that because what he did for us is what empowers us to go and live how he lived. So it's not just what he did for us. It's also we look to how did Jesus live his life? And how can I look at the way that he's living and adopt that as my own and build that into my own routine of living and how I spend my days? Look, somewhere along the way, guys, and, and I'm not necessarily saying this about whatever tradition you grew up in, and, and I'm not saying this in any way to like um, speak critically or negatively. I'm thankful for what I grew up in and the church I grew up in, and God used it in very powerful ways. 
But somewhere along the way, I, I learned a lesson that basically says this, if I want transformation, if I want to change, if I want to be a different person, then it's all about gaining the right information. That information alone will equal transformation. And I want to say yes to that, but it can't be the only thing. I almost named this sermon, Preaching's Not Enough. I think it's really important. It's enormous value. It's something you need to hear. I need to hear it. But it's not enough that if, if I think I can just, I'm just throwing out an idea here, like deal with my coveting, my lust, my anger, my impatience, my lack of the fruit of the Spirit, all right, which is the character of Christ, which is what he's wanting to form in all of us. I just think all I got to do is get a study and gain more information, then I will finally start getting the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to say yes to that, but it can't just be that alone. Your overall way of life has to change. And what I want to put before us, guys, and I'm not trying to get guilt on us or just receive this however you need to receive this, right? I'm just saying this. I don't think our overall way of living is very much different than anyone else, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, other than a few hours a week that we do. So on average, I'm just, this is on average. I'm not saying this is the case for every Christian, but on average, when it wasn't a pandemic, followers of Jesus Christ went to church two out of four Sundays a month. That's average. So, all right, what is that? You know, let's, let's go above the average. Let's say you, like, you're killing it. You're way above the average. You're coming to church every Sunday, right? That's an hour and a half. Let's say you're going to community groups every week. That's two hours to three hours, depending on what group you're in. Some of them go all night, right? So, but let's averagely say two hours. That's three hours a week. Let's say you also do a Bible study with a group of people, right? That's another hour, whatever. So on average, if that's all you did, and that's normally what most Christians, based on surveys, basically do, and it's actually less than that. I'm gonna give some generosity. Five hours a week that we intentionally give to be formed and shaped to value what the kingdom of heaven values and to begin to cultivate in us this reactive response of patience, kindness, love, peace, joy, the fruit of the Spirit. We want to reactively respond, not have to think about it. So we're giving five hours a week to that versus on average, normal person, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, consumes 90 hours of media a week. That's a lot. And it's radically changed since the invention of the iPhone in 2007, where we have access to it all the time. And we're naive, guys. I'm naive to think that that's not shaping and forming you. Look, that's... I'm not against Fox News, okay? 
I'm not anti-Fox News, right? I want to just state that out there. If you have problems with what I say, that's fine. Send me an email, meet me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. That the reason why I talk about it often, instead of CNN, why don't you talk about CNN, MSNBC? Well, because it's an echo chamber, right? I would just be saying the same thing you already sort of think. But what, what we have in our kind of Christian subculture here in Louisville, Kentucky, that's overchurched, extremely overchurched, is we have a ton of people that basically equate Christianity with, bear with me, you watch Fox News and you always vote Republican. And so if I'm doing that, then I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I just want to put before you that if in your rhythm of life, your routine of life, if every morning you're looking on your news feed and you up Fox News because it's the conservative slant of news, right? I don't want to listen to the liberal slant because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. This is what I'm supposed to listen to. I'm going to listen to Fox News. If you are doing that every day, for 15 minutes, a half hour, an hour, whatever it is, listen to me. It is shaping you. There is formative power there. And I can tell you this, without blinking an eye, Fox News is not trying to get you to value the things of the kingdom of heaven. And you watching that every single day will not make you roll out and value the things that God values. There's formative power there. Am I saying stop watching Fox News? No. I'm just trying to wake us up. That the reason, maybe the reason why you don't instinctively respond in gentleness and compassion and love toward other people that do not look like you, that do not believe the way you do, that do not vote the way you do, that have sexual preferences that are different than yours, that probably don't even go to church ever at all, that the reason maybe why you don't respond instinctively with love and compassion is because you're exposing yourself to a formative practice that's shaping you like that. And I'm just wanting to put before you and me, like, why don't we step back and see what that is? What's in the system of my life? What's in my day-to-day -day that actually is shaping that and giving me that output? So if I want the promise that Jesus is putting before us, where my soul is at rest, where we can respond like Paul says in Philippians to where our gentleness is known by everyone, then I, I'm naive to think that's going to happen by just doing hour and a half to three hours a week. That somehow, some way, these practices that have been around for thousands of years and that Christians have done for thousands of years have got to come and be a part of our lives. Like practices of, of reading the word and prayer. I mean, because it's not legalism. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happened here. I don't know why that's legalism. 
If you have a consistent habit of reading the word, like, no, as long as you're not thinking that's earning some favor with God, you've already got favor with God. It's in Jesus, right? That's why it frees you to read your Bible without this pressure of like, if I don't get it right, I'm going to have a horrible day. No, you're going to have a great day, whether it's horrible or not horrible, because you're in Christ, right? You follow me a little bit? I mean, that, yeah, I think you know what I'm saying. Like, but, but where is that in your life? Like, I'm not trying to, I know I'm running out of time. Just hang with me. Just give me like five minutes. I, I'm not saying, hey, man, you need to walk out of here and start reading five chapters a day. I'm just saying start somewhere. Open your Bible, read a paragraph, and talk to your father and make it a habit, make it a routine, make it a rhythm. Where's fasting in your life? Not so you can lose weight. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with intermittent fasting. It's okay. Want to lose weight? Go for it. But that's not the point, right? We don't, you know, I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast for the Lord. I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. Well, all right, I hear you. But where's fasting to where you can train your body to hunger for Him? Where's solitude in your life? Where's your regular rhythm of like, you know what? I'm going to fast from my phone. I'm setting it down. I'm not checking it. I'm not doing any way. I'm going to spend 24 hours and not look at my phone. Or maybe you just say, hey, you know what? I'm not looking at my phone until 12 o'clock every day. You know, I don't know. Like, where is this in your life? That's what I'm, I'm trying to put before you that if, if these routines, these rhythms, these practices are not a part of our life, then we're fooling ourselves and we're somewhat naive to think that the fruit of the Spirit will really be cultivated in us. And that's what we want. That's what I want. So this week, what would be a small step? I mean, what if you just took tomorrow and just logged your day? That's all you did. I'm going I'm to pay attention to what I do with my day. And wrote that down. How do I spend my time, log it out, maybe do a whole week. And then think about like, what, what practice, what rhythm can I just start one thing that can shape and form me to be more and more like Jesus. And then church-wide, all I'm trying to say with this right now, and I don't have a lot of answers here, but I am, our staff and our elders and myself, we're, we're praying about like, how does this become a part of us? So it's not just you, go do this as an individual, make this happen. No, how can this become something we are doing together that this is a part of sort of the, like the DNA of who we are and that this becomes you know, woven into the fabric of our own church life. All right, I'm way over time. Let me pray for us. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.